Hello, and welcome to Going Off Track. Hello, and how are you? I'm good. I'm Jonah. Brad. And here we are. Here we are, once again. Tracks. It's a mythical place. Yes. In Brooklyn. Had some really cool people come through this morning. In mythical Brooklyn. Yes. Shout out to Frameworks, we're just here. Check them out. Toured with them a lot. They're a great band. From Florida. From Florida. Just signed. Nice guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. Really good. And, uh... Yeah, we had some other cool people here. So, you just Jonah, it's your life, dude. You just hang out with cool people, well, talk to them. I was telling Brad, make I love, them feel good about themselves. I love frameworks, <laughs> and I loved we were able to hook them up with shoes, which was so validating for me because I was telling Brad. I remember, I think last time United Nations was on tour with them, we were like, "Hey, do you want to meet at Panera Bread?" And they were like, uh, "I was like, what?" And they're like, "It's pretty expensive. Like we're thinking we were just going to go to Burger King." And I was like. <laughs> Oh yeah, I remember being there. I mean, they're uh, they're way younger than me. They're yeah. all like you know, like twenty one, twenty five. But uh, yeah, I remember that time. So like, I think they were so psyched. It's the worst. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like touring with like literally like at the most ten bucks to spend on food every day. Yeah, you're so psyched when somebody gives you a meal. Or uh. what's amazing though too is that like for some reason you always have money to spend on like beer and weed, <laughs> but then you're like you're like. <laughs> yeah, but I had no money for food. I don't know. Like, I, Dude, priorities, yeah, man. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I saw them play Vitus last night. That was great. Um, what's new with you, Brad? South by Southwest is coming up. Coming up. Yeah. So probably this will probably be released around when yeah. that's happening, right? Yeah. Are we putting this out next week? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's coming out behind the scenes. Yeah. Is there anything people can check out? Are you guys doing any like showcases or anything? Um, Well, no. I mean, we've got a rubber tracks pop up at a place called 12th Street Studio. Um, It's going to be just what we do here, recording local bands only. But I'll be hanging out at Fader Fort and all that crap. So if you're in Austin and you want to meet Brad in person, (laughs) go to the Fader Fort. Yeah. And you might get to actually meet him. <laughs> yeah, because there won't be anybody else there to like, you know, t- to confuse me with. <laughs> yes. It's only the biggest venue in uh, South By. Yeah, yeah. It'll be easy to spot. Um, I'll have a beer in my hand. Yes, I'll have a beer. Unlike everybody else there. <laughs> um, so today in the podcast, we today. have... We have our friend Matthew Cause, who's a singer for Not A Surf. Um, he also did one of our live podcasts yeah. at Union Hall and played a couple songs. And uh, Not A Surf has a new record that just came out last Friday called You Know Who You Are on Barsook Records. And it's great. I actually just reviewed it for the AV Club. Um, and uh, yeah, I've known Matthew for a long time. And I've been wanting to get him on the podcast literally for years. Um, cause he used to live here and we used to see each other around town a lot and we're friendly, but he's, he's gone a lot now. Yeah. So it was but, cool. We talked about kind of his childhood moving around, going to a French speaking school, the band, the whole saga was popular and, uh, sort of where they're at now, but he's a really, really sweet guy. Don't you think Brad? Absolutely. Yeah. And such an amazing songwriter. I mean, I feel like when he played the live podcast, just as soon as he started singing with an acoustic guitar, everyone was just like silent. Yeah, it's true. Like, you know, I'm a big fan of the band. I like their, I like their stuff. Yeah. I like the records. They're great. And I feel like if you, I would check out the new record, but if you like the new record, I would go back and check out all their records really, because I feel like they're not like really gimmicky band. Like they don't really like, you know, but I feel like they're one of like the quietly most kind of consistent indie rock bands. Like, Every album is like has great songs on it. Consistent, but also like there's something new. Yeah. You know, like like some bands can just do that. Some it's probably the hardest thing in the world to not disappoint, but to like come have a new angle on, on, on each record, sort of. Yeah, that's true. So there you go. There you go. So I think they can do that. They can do that. Not many of us can. No, no way. I'll just do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. A D. E. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it, man. <laughs> it's like power chord, octave chord. <laughs> Breakdown. <laughs> Blast beat. <laughs> Repeat. 
but yeah, so yeah, this is a great interview. Um, check out the new Nana Surf record, and here's our interview with Matthew Cause. Brad. All right. How you feeling? <laughs> good. I feel good. You ready to do this? Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super official. Matt, what's up? Oh, uh... <laughs> do you for Matt or Matthew? I, I... Maybe I'll switch to Matt just to be... Yeah. Just to freshen things up. Yeah. I've always been a Matthew. Okay. Always, always. My middle name is Matthew. Oh, is it? Yeah. That's like a double first. Yeah, it is like a double first. Yeah. Although, a lot of middle names, I guess, are Yeah, first. that's true, that's true. Yeah, I guess a real double first is when your name is like, Bob, you know, right, but... Harry John or exactly something. yeah yeah um yeah. okay I just feel comfortable around you I think that's yeah I remember um the first time we met uh was at that place in Williamsburg I don't think it's there anymore that Asian coffee shop place I think Supercore Supercore yeah um I love that place yeah that place is that still around I'm not sure I, I know I think they changed owners and stuff yeah I'm um, never really in that area anymore yeah me neither since I moved yeah same but uh I remember I was interviewing you for someone and then we ended up just like hanging out for a while yeah and you were like had just stopped drinking caffeine right and okay. like yeah yeah I'm now I'm trying this new thing matcha yeah I've actually read that? about that so it's like an alternative so it's green tea powder okay and it apparently according to the literature that you can find online uh one cup of that is like 20 cups of green tea in terms of all the good stuff you're getting really yeah and it's this really like vibrantly green powder and you push it through a sieve of uh, a strainer um and then you put just a tiny bit of really hot water and whisk it with this uh, bamboo whisk into a little froth okay and and drink it and the other day i've had it for three days straight and the second day well yesterday i had a ton of it just to see what it did uh-huh and it's it's pretty good it's like yeah. a, it's like a slow coffee high like it lasts interesting seven or eight hours what does it taste like green yeah <laughs> <laughs> like, like extremely green that's good yeah i'll try that because yeah. someone was telling me like caffeine is like can like really add to anxiety and stuff like i have a friend and he was like stopped yeah. drinking it and he was like and then i was like totally didn't get panic attacks or anything anymore yeah yeah i think it does add yeah. to that a lot I'm, I'm relatively are you an anxious person yeah i'm pretty anxious yeah do you meditate i try to i used to be really good about it and in like the yeah. last year or so it's my it's gone really bad i've kind of started it and i'm a really late late bloomer um then the big can I tell you what my turning point was? Absolutely. My turning point was, because I tried to do it for a long time and thought I couldn't and was really frustrated and thought like, I'm not good at this and I can't empty my mind. And then somehow in conversation with somebody who was talking about failure and how important failure is, I realized that failing in meditation is, is the point and is great. And if you can't do it, that's good. And yeah. that the more times you have to bring your attention back to whatever then it's working that little it's not a muscle right but you probably i'm sure you know you know all this it's just an exciting discovery for me because i am anxious and i'm always looking for ways to to turn that down and this is kind of helping do you have like a set period of time or time of the day or anything 22 minutes yeah timer um like uh, you know like on an iphone or something like a like a timer otherwise i can't if it's just looking at my watch i'll be looking at my watch every minute right um yeah, 22 minutes in the morning, uh, no lotus position, no sitting on the floor, just on a comfy couch. Right. Stare into the, stare at something in front of me and uh, and fail again and again. Yeah. And it's kind of awesome. Yeah. It's liberating to think that, that, that that's the point. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good way to look at yeah. it. Because I think it's so easy just to be like, I suck at this. Like, why can't I yeah. do this? And just get frustrated and then be like, uh eh. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 great, and in doing things like gently, I feel like as a new discovery. Like I've started to run slowly. Like I hate running, but yeah. but I like having done it, which is that that's a famous. I think it's a Hemingway quote or something. I hate writing, but I love having written. Right, and uh, I don't like running, but but now running really slow, just like pathetically slow, is great. Yeah, because then I'll do it. Speaking of running, 
We yeah. saw each other during the New York oh Marathon. Oh my God, you were on a man. <laughs> I remember running through Williamsburg Jesus. and coming around a corner and you were just standing there. And I was like, hey man. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> I'm still so impressed. That I mean. Yeah, I actually did four of them. I haven't, I haven't run in a while. You but. looked like you weighed four pounds. <laughs> like, I don't mean the way your body looked. Yeah, I yeah. mean, the way you were running, you were just like, boodly doo. I, I was pretty, I was, I was training a lot. I was doing like 20 mile runs on the weekends. Like, oh I was really into it. Oh my God. Yeah. See, I don't think I've ever even run far enough to get that runner's high. I don't think yeah. I, I've never run more than like five miles. And, and, and that was like a, a big peak. Yeah. I mean, it's really cool because it, it's interesting, like, I actually, it's fine we're talking about meditation, because yep. the last time I did, the last time I did New York Marathon, I, like, was trying to run eight-minute miles, and I was, like, ahead of pace the whole time, and it, I was, like, I'm going too fast, I'm going too fast, and the last two miles, like, my legs hurt so bad, they're, like, burning, right. and I was, like, I can't do it, and then I was, like, just thinking about what I did in yoga, like, just, like, the breathing, I was, like, just yeah. focus on the breath, and I literally just, like, didn't pay attention to the pain, Wow. and just was, like, one breath, one breath, and then it was over. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know my. Yeah, because we we don't know each other well, but I like I really like you. I thought thought you seemed like such a nice person, and but you seem very well rounded, like doing music and running. Yeah, even just those two things, <laughs> like that's well rounded. I know, I know. That's a very very cool. And yeah. speaking of music, yeah, you guys have a new record. Yeah, you know who you are. Yep, yep, yep. Is that that title isn't. All based on the because Texas the reason album. Do you know who you are? Which was obviously that John Lennon. Um, oh right, yeah. Somebody else had mentioned that. No, yeah. it's not. It's not. Um, it's. Uh, I guess it's a three level title, and two of them are silly and not important, and one is kind of the real one. So the silly ones are like the Oscar speech. You know, I want to thank everybody who helped. Blah blah blah. You know who you are, right? And then the negative Oscar speech, like. This movie you know, almost didn't get made because of one person. You know who you are. <laughs> uh, but the the actual thing is like it's a it's a it's a record in part. You know, you never know what it's about. Like it's just songs. But but it's after having made it, you know, I can look back and kind of figure some things out. And there's a lot about gut feelings in it and gut decisions and and those moments when you can't figure out what your gut feeling is. I feel like gut feelings are spoken of as something that you always have, you know, like in the language when someone says, you know, follow your heart or, um, you know, do what you feel or go with your, go with your instinct. Like, but what do you do when you don't know what that is? Right. Or what do you do when you have two of them and they're contradictory? So it's kind of an aspirational title. I mean, I'm really speaking to myself, but I mean, ideally maybe it's comforting for someone else to, to hear like, you know, if, if you don't know what to do, and you don't know what your heart is telling you, then, well, maybe get some sleep. Yeah. Maybe have a few regular meals. Maybe go outside a bit. And probably, hopefully, soon-ish, you'll know. Yeah. You know. That is actually very reassuring, because I feel that way all the time. Yeah. I feel people are like, what do you think of this movie? I'm like, I don't know. It was okay. Or like, what do you want to eat? I'm like, I don't know. Like, Right. I'm like, how do you, and they're like, I'm in the mood for this. I'm like, how are you in the mood for something? Like, how do yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how opinions are formed so clearly by, by some people. I, I don't always, I find myself f- forcing myself sometimes to, to have an opinion because well, one's sh- needed. I'm sure it just also depends on like what your passions are. Like I'm sure yeah. when you're like mixing a record or something, yeah. you're very opinionated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you did this record with Tom. Tom Bonjour. Yeah. My old editor. Oh, right. At Revolver. Oh right! Yeah, holy moly! You know, you know, we go back so far. Yes, he told. Somehow, I found out you guys were friends, and he was like, because he was saying my band could record there, and we had talked for a while, yeah. and yeah, you guys have known each other since we were kids. My my, we had a guinea pig called Emily, and Emily had a baby called Max, and we gave Max to Tom when he was six. Tom. Not Max. Maybe maybe Max was six <laughs> days old. I don't know. Um, our parents uh, taught at Hunter together. Wow. Um, his dad was at NYU, but his mom was at Hunter, and my both my parents were at Hunter for a while. Um, yes, we've just known each other forever, and and have kind of been talking about guitars and stuff since we were thirteen. And you did some of that covers record at his studio, also. Uh, yeah, yeah, but he he did a uh, we did some guitars on 
The Weight is a Gift, a whole bunch on Lucky, um, some of the covers record. He co-produced the whole and recorded and mixed the whole... Uh, no, he didn't mix it, sorry. Um, the whole Minor Alps record. Okay. Um, yeah, he's just it's my favorite person to record with. Just because, you know, it's it's like adding up two great things, you know, like a super friendship and then being in the studio, which is my favorite place in the world. So. Right. Those are the best days. Um, yeah, it was so weird finding out you guys are friends because I don't, didn't know either of you that well, but yeah. I knew just two times the editor of this like metal magazine, yeah. like yeah. super heavy music, and then I knew you yeah. as like the guy from Not a Surf, and I was yeah. like, really? Right, right, right. <laughs> well, that context, like, yeah, yeah, right. It's funny. Well, I mean, he was, you know, he's a real shredder. I didn't know that. Yeah, he can like do sweep picking. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if he does it anymore, but like he he could. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. See, I know it's funny. I wonder if a lot of the people in Revolver, like that, read Revolver, didn't know that the editor in chief was like a, a really just like, like a cheap trick big star fan, like yeah, a super yeah. power pop dude, um, who happened to be working in a field that was more uh, more lucrative for the magazine <laughs> publisher. He, he also recorded with another uh, friend of mine who I love, uh, Chris Walla. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was just, I just saw him, I was just in Japan. Uh, oh, yeah? Working with him for a day. He's making the solo record of uh, the singer of this band called Asian Kung Fu Generation. Okay. Who um, are the band that have brought us over to Japan all the times we've been there. And uh, yeah, Chris is, he's amazing. It seems like he's always, one, like, I remember him giving me, like, a burn CD, like, at a Death Cab show so long ago and being like, these are some songs I produced. Like, this is my MSN email. Like, I want, yeah. really want to produce more bands. Wow. And yeah. like his resume was like all these Death Cab songs. Like, I think it'll be fine getting work. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. He gets a lot of work. And I yeah. think he's really like producing a lot these yeah. days. I think he's really like living in the studio. That's awesome. Which is, yeah, which is awesome. So I've always been sort of confused about your trajectory because you grew up in like Belgium or something? No, I grew, I grew up here. You grew up? I grew up here. Okay. Um, uh, 81st and Lexington is okay. where my, where I grew up. And then, um, but because my parents are, because uh, they teach, they get sabbatical years every seven years. Um, that's when you get like a year off for half pay. And because my mom is a, a French literature professor, we we went to Paris. Uh, so I lived there when I was five for the year, and then when I was 12 for the year. And they put me in the local school, and I didn't understand a word. And I think the people there must have been really nice, because I don't have a traumatic memory at all of of that. I just remember sitting in class every day and not knowing what was going on and what anyone was saying. Um, and then I had a weird, a weird epiphany which is, it's funny because it just shows how, how strange kids are. Like, it hadn't occurred to me that it was another language. I was just like, well, I don't understand what anyone's saying. <laughs> but then we were reading this this book, this picture book, and there is this, uh, this grandmother. Uh, I mean, maybe she was someone's grandmother. That's kind of what she was called in the book, but you didn't see any other kids. Anyway, this this older lady is sitting in a rocking chair, and she has a cat in her lap, and the cat is purring. But the French word for purring is... Oh, oh, oh. It's hard to say. It's a R O N R O N, oh. and uh, and I remember thinking, oh wow, that's oh that's that must be another word for purring. Wait, so there's just another word for everything, which is kind of like that Steve Martin routine. They have a different word for everything, <laughs> but it was like that was a realization. Like, oh, there's so all I have to do is learn all these equivalent words, and then I'll understand what everyone's saying. And so then I became like a kind of a Frenchy kid. So they put me in the in the Lycée Français, the French school, um, on Seventy Second Street. So I went there for ten years. Um, why am I telling you all that? No, to I explain asked. why Belgium, but why why not Belgium? But but does that make sense? So you went to a French speaking school in New York. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. Like everything's in French except for English. Um, but like gym is in French. Is it mostly like Americans, or is it mostly people that came it's, over? It's from? mostly like like kids of French people who live in New York for okay. business reasons or or diplomats um or um and then there are a few american kids and i always felt really bad for them because there's some kids like one of my best friends john livingstone he was there because his parents figured well if we put him in there he'll learn french but the thing is if you're not immersed in it 
and you're only learning it at school, that's kind of a slow right, right. slog, you know. And it was also, um, it was just about the cheapest private school in New York. So I think, um, I think some parents who, yeah, wanted to send their kids to private school but didn't want to spend too much would send them there too. But, but yeah, that was a, that was a tough slog. My f- French is weird for me because, um, because I learned it so young, my accent is is right on, but my vocabulary is not as good as my accent. So if I talk to somebody in France, um, usually they'll just think I'm French. But after a few seconds, they're like, what <laughs> is this guy's problem? <laughs> like, why doesn't he know the word for Band-Aid? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's so simple. And I can talk quickly around the idea of the word I don't know. Like, what's the thing? You know the thing? The thing you put, you're hurt? Blood, blood feeling, blood feeling, and then the thing you put, you know, like, why are you so weird? And so once in a while, I do this strange thing. It's like I've gone into, I don't know, if in pharmacies for some reason. I go into a pharmacy and give myself a, a worse accent just so they'll give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my problem, I took it for three years. My uh-huh. sister was like a French major. She spent a lot of time there, but uh, I can, I was never good at remembering like the... Um, Masculine and feminine? Yes. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. It's I'd completely be like, arbitrary. This speaker is a male, but this pencil is a female. Yeah. I'm just like, what? I already, yeah. I mean, and I've never even thought about like, what is the point? Like, why <laughs> did they do that? It's so over, over fussy. Yeah. And there were so many forms of every verb. Oh, like it was, yeah. Yeah. I'm not really good at languages. That's impressive that anybody can learn anything. Yeah. Well, I think you're right though. I think doing it when you're young is so much yeah. easier. Yeah. 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 Um, so you... So you graduated from high school in New York. Yeah. yeah. Then I was going to go to George Washington University because my dad, um, my parents split up when I was 15 and my dad had already started teaching there before the split was complete. He, that was sort of a, I think a kind of a step out. And so I missed him and I wanted to go to school there. And then three weeks before leaving, um, I just realized I didn't want to leave the band I was in. I had this band called The Cost of Living with, uh, with Daniel um, and a couple other guys. And uh, I just didn't want to leave it. So I, so I went to, to Hunter. Um, and then the first term I did, did really well and then got bored or got distracted or something and pretty much failed out of the second term and, and left school, um, much to my uh, mom's horror, I would say. Um, and then I just worked jobs for like a year and a half. I worked at the Harris pole doing, you know, telephone polling. Like it's just, just, it's the worst, like trying to get someone to answer a half hour of questions about their phone service. I mean, it's terrible. I have so much sympathy for, for telemarketers that usually if I have a moment when they call, I'll like tell them a joke and stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm not going to buy that. But uh, I know how, how how hard your job is, and, and uh, seems you wanna, like you less hear a of joke. a thing now. Maybe like with cell phones, because I feel like you can't really like so many people don't have landlines. I guess. Yeah. And I don't think they can call. So like I've never gotten a telemarketer really calling me. Yeah, and maybe maybe a lot of that energy and money has been being put into like online marketing. Yeah, probably. Or something. Yeah. Well. Good. Well. Good. So a lot of people have been liberated from that. Yeah. I I thought it was so hard because if you work in a factory. Presumably, you could daydream, and if you have a a mental job like like you, if you're right, if you're writing, you could presumably pace around the house while you're thinking of the next sentence. Right. But telemarketing, your your brain and your body are locked down into this one thing in a script in a chair, bothering people. Right. It's just terrible. Um, and I, I worked at a at a um, document production place where they were this maybe at the tail end of when people would get junk mail and still believe that someone had typed it. Okay. So it was these like daisy wheel printers and I was, there were 17 printers and these giant Videc computers with this big latch door and the, the floppy disks. Um, I'm, I'm holding my, my hands very far apart. They're very far apart. They're very far apart. And, uh, and there had been a flood there. So a lot of the printers would malfunction. And so I was just constantly, Having to re reset up the whole thing and clean these printers. Why am I telling you that? I don't know. Just a lot of jobs. I couldn't hear Wikipedia page. You worked at Airwax Records. Uh, yeah, yeah. My first my first uh, record store job was at a place called Record Runner that then turned into Subterranean. Okay. On Cornelia Street. That was my first job. Uh, the the guy 
who was the main guy in the store, uh, played guitar in this band called Winter Hours. And um, so I started working there when he was on tour, and then I eventually became their, their roadie um, for a little while, which was great. That was my first like touring experience, was going through the South with them. Um, they didn't pay me because I didn't know you were supposed to be paid. <laughs> so they were taking advantage of a, but taking advantage. I mean, they were awesome guys and were really good to me. Um, and we opened for the Huda Gurus. We, they opened for the Huda Gurus. Um, and I was such a big fan. Like, I love them. And it was on the Blow Your Cool pre tour. So before that album came out, which, no offense to anyone, slightly overproduced record, uh, <laughs> but incredible songs. And so I got to hear all of those songs, like in their raw, nice, like really kicking live version. Um, yeah, I worked on that. and then I was Earwax. I, that was after this band started. So when Not a Surf second record, Proximity Effect, got dropped, we were in a in a kind of um, lull for a couple of years. And I, I worked at Earwax then. So Not a Surf formed like what, like around ninety two or something like something that? like that. Yeah. Well, so so there was this cost of living. Made a couple of records ourselves. Um, then that band broke up and then I was in a band called Because, 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 um, and Daniel was in that band too. Uh, and we did some, we did some really fun recording. We went up to Fort Apache and made a demo with Paul Coldery, oh, nice. uh, which was, you know, I was super fan excited because of all this stuff made there and he, and he was, he was really good. Um, and then that band broke up too. And then, so we started a, a trio with a drummer called Aaron Conti. Um, and we were called Helicopter, and we, we might have had one other name that I don't remember. Um, and then we changed our name to Not a Surf, and then we, this is probably about 94, um, we put out a 7-inch. I have a friend, Joe Habaika, who wanted to start a label, he started a label called Stick Boy, and um, he didn't have quite enough money to put the record out, and I didn't either, but we split it and got by that way, so he made the... V- vinyl itself and I, I had the covers made and um daniel took that he would go to he's from spain so he would go back to spain every summer for a while and he took that single over there and um the he played it for a for a dj around town like you know there's super rock culture in spain you know there's the, no, i didn't know that yeah it's great there's this there's this neighborhood in madrid called malasaña and these bars stay open till forever you know like whatever like eight nine in the morning um and people are that, that is a terrible <laughs> thing that's you yeah we can edit this out don't worry about it um right so there's there's this neighborhood in madrid called malasaña where these bars stay open really really late and um it's really like rock culture um it's as if people's stereos are going out to a bar and that's where they listen to music um so there's like a a dj in every single bar playing vinyl often too fast just to make it more exciting yeah um and well i guess the reason i'm the reason is notable because it's not just that that sees rock and roll bars but there's a slight slant towards garage and then a slight slant towards um like power pop which is a word that's come up a lot in the last few days and i'm 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 kind of confused by it. So I, in fact, looked up the definition the other day. It's really like very specific. Yeah. <laughs> like the raspberries. Okay. And the, the records and, and, um, and Sloan. Uh, so what's my point? Well, well, the, it seems like kind of the only place in the world where like the DJ will play Shake Some Action by the Flaming Groovies and like everybody in the bar will be like, yeah, right on. You know, you know, like a very specific taste. Okay. Anyway, why am I saying this? Daniel brought the single over. And this guy called Kike Tourmix, this 400-pound man, the singer in a band called The Pleasure Fuckers, um, put it on. So Daniel's like, this is my new record. And, and, he, and he put it on, and uh, they, they dug it. And this label called Roto said they wanted a whole record. So we, we made an album. Um, and, you know, on the super cheap, like Aaron was the, was the uh, uh, desk person at um, the power station. And so we got a okay. free a free night. Wow! We'd cut like nineteen songs or something. Um, and so we made a record for them, and it's so exciting. You know, made the cover. It's just like it's going to be great. And they wanted it. They're they're like great. We love it. We want it for Spain and the world. 
and we didn't know much, but knew enough that like, okay, so you're just a label in Spain. You have no distribution here. We can't, we can't do that. So like, we'll get distribution. And we thought, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Didn't want to be like the guinea pig of a, of a project that might work or not. So we, so we pulled out and was just sitting there with it. And then Aaron uh, left the band. Um, and we were sitting there without a drummer. And Daniel and I in high school used to go see the Fuzz Tones, who were awesome. If you don't, if anybody doesn't know the Fuzz Tones, they were like just New York second wave or first wave of like garage nostalgia bands. Okay. Like, like, um, Flesh Tones and Vipers and Mosquitoes and bands like that, Raunch Hands. Um, and the Fuzz Tones were, were great, pretty, pretty theatrical, like a lot of like mushroom haircuts, okay. um, black turtleneck, um, necklace of chicken bones, you know, a sleeveless, uh, jean jacket and Rickenbackers and Vox guitars, Vox phantom bass, Farfisa, stuff like that. Okay. Um, and a lot of covers of like what you'd expect, kind of nuggets, um, back from whatever that back from the grave kind of stuff um and the drummer was awesome and then we got to know him and he was super nice and there have been a few points actually in in those first two bands where we needed a drummer and, and daniel would say like let's call ira and i was always like nah he's really good and i think he's in a lot of bands and maybe we won't be able to hold on to him and that's kind of a waste of time i don't want to do that um but then finally when aaron left not a surf really i thought yeah, I feel pretty good about these songs. Yeah, let's call Ira. Now, now's the time. And he was about to become a singer songwriter. He was going to quit drums. Um, he was in a in a metal band called a kind of a glam metal band called Are You Ready? Um, and maybe, but maybe he wasn't doing that anymore at that point. Um, and uh, yeah, and he joined, and and so then. Um, yeah, we were sitting there on, on that Spanish record, not knowing what to do with it. And then um, I sat next. I, I thought I thought because I was in the band, I better start getting ambitious. Right. I'd been pretty low ambition before that, but I thought I should kind of get started. And so, so I started carrying tape around. And I was on the subway, um, and Mitch Easter was sitting right there. I was like, oh my God, I should really give him this tape. He's reading the paper, and he looks so peaceful. I couldn't do it. I couldn't bug him. And I met him year, year, like three years ago or something, and I told him the story. He's like, you took the other path, man. <laughs> who, kn- who knows what would have happened? <laughs> He's right. <laughs> who knows what would have happened? Um, but then I met Rick Okasik and, and gave him a tape. And, that, and then he, uh, that was insane. That was completely insane because he, uh, I, I went out to dinner on that story for two weeks. Like, you'll never believe who I gave a tape to. He's never going to call. And then, like, one day I come home and my roommate's like, you should check the answering machine. I was like, really? And, uh, yeah, so that was, that was him. And he, and he wanted to... He basically said, like, what is this tape? I like it. And I was like, well, it's our record. He's like, well, you should put it out. But if you ever record these songs again, if you ever want to re-record them, um, I'll, I'll, I'll produce it and I'll do it real cheap. Wow! And yeah, and that's and that's what happened. So it was like pre Blue Album, I guess. There was a post Blue Album. Post Blue Album. Okay. Yeah, just post. Just post. Which, of course, I love the sound of. Right. So that was that was exciting. Yeah. So why am I telling you this? Because you were saying you'd mentioned what year we started, which made me th- right. think historically, and so now I'm so saying you, historical so you, things. So Rick does this record, and then yeah. you guys signed to Electra or something. We signed to yeah. That was that was kind of neat, you know. We um, so we had this album that we couldn't put out and I sent it to Matador and I sent it to Merge and I sent it to Touch and Go which are basically three of my favorite labels based on the bands they were putting out and um, uh, maybe Teen Beat and uh, Heard Nothing which is no surprise because maybe it just doesn't work that way you know sending a tape in I think it worked more that way then at least yeah yeah. yeah that's true it didn't, but it didn't work that way for us. I mean, I've hear, heard really funny stories about that kind of thing. Like, like somebody sent a, to, to Mitch Easter actually sent him a huge crate and inside was a boom box with the band's demo in it. So all he had to do was like open up the enormous crate. <laughs> That's so doesn't funny. sound very easy. Like the Tasmanian devil kind of crate. Yeah. And then hit play. Um, <laughs> so I didn't hear anything back from them and, and, didn't quite know what to do, but we were playing gigs and having a good time. And then we played at this place called Rebar on 16th and 8th Avenue. And this guy called Bobby McCain came up to me and said, I really like that. Do you have a tape? And I said, yes. And I said, what, what do you do? And he said he had a label, called, he worked at a label called Number Six. And they'd put out um, 
the unrest record Imperial FFRR, which I really liked. And he put out a Dean Wareham single okay. also at that time. And I was like, that, that sounds great. I gave him the tape and he called me the next day and he said, well, actually, uh, I also have a day job. I work at Electra Records and me and my friend Ben Weber, who's now our manager, he said, uh, Ben played it for his boss and now his boss wants to meet you guys. And so we went up there the next day and they offered us a deal right then. And so the funny part, this is just like a goofy, cute story is that, you know, we're, I mean, it's, fe it's feeling very surreal. I mean, meeting Rick was pretty surreal too, but this was also very surreal because it was not what we were really looking for, but a lot, a, a lot, uh, headier air than expecting like a major label. That's insane. Right. Um, they said, who would you want to produce your album? And I said, oh, Rick Ocasek. And they said, right, well, I mean, if you can get him. I'm like, no, no, we got him. So it was like, it was fun to have that. Um, but, sure. um, but we really hesitated and uh, um, I didn't know what to do. And I called Rick and I said, hey, so, so it looks like we, because the way I'd left it with him, he's, he said, well, you don't have a record deal. If you get one, give me a call, you know, or let's stay in touch. And so I called him and said, told him what had happened. And he said, well... Cars were on Electro, it was pretty good. But uh, let, me, let me send it to somebody. And so he sends it to Maverick Records, which is uh, Guy Osiri, he was the A&R guy, who oh, now right. God knows what he does. He does a million things, right? Yeah. Like Beats headphones and stuff. Or, uh, it probably manages a lot of actors or something like that. Um, and this guy, Freddie DeMann, who I think maybe would have been Michael Jackson's manager, I don't know. Oh, it's, it was Madonna's label. That's right. That's what I was looking for. So we go out there, and they have this really compelling pitch. You know, they say here, here, here are the CDs we put out last year. And he takes this stack that's like twelve CDs and puts it on his desk, and he's like, "And here's how many records Electra put out last year." And he takes this teetering, like three foot, hilarious <laughs> thing, and that was that was pretty good, a uh, good tactic. And um, <laughs> we did like a. a showcase for them where we played in a, in a in a practice space on some really dodgy gear um and he took us to the movies took us to lunch freddie demand drove me around in his in his in a fancy porsche or something um but you know we were still confused and then my my sister had been at uh, my older sister hillary who's a big deal for me musically because she she really dove into like new wave and post-punk and stuff and played me all kinds of things for the first time she had gone to Harvard and was on the radio there. Um, and her program, she had a show called Plastic Passions. And she did a thing like have a, a 24 hour uh, Buzzcocks orgy, she called it, where she just played 24 hours of Buzzcocks and had, and had a Pichelli phone interview in the middle of it. Wow. Um, she, her, she'd always spoken really highly of her program director, this guy Jeff Weiss. And he worked at Warner Brothers and had, I don't know if he signed. Flaming Lips or something, maybe, maybe not that, but he'd, he'd done some, uh, she always talked about him, again, really, like, admiringly, and, and, and it sounded like he'd done really cool stuff, and and so I knew that through her I could get in touch with him, so I did, and I said, um, hey, so these two labels want to put out a record, and we don't know what to do, and I don't really know how to choose, and this is all kind of unexpected, because I really wanted to be on an independent label. It's like, well, send me the record, and I'll help you out, and he sends the record over, and he's like, well, Warner Brothers would want to put this out, and <laughs> You know, it might have been smart at the time. This is clearly like possibly a bidding war situation, but we were just a little bit uncomfortable uh, with that. Maybe just nervous about the expectations or didn't, you know, even though we really could have used the money, I think it would have felt weird if someone had given us a ton of it. I was already feeling like it is kind of strange that these people want to sign us. Like we're kind of a ragtag operation. You know, I don't, I currently now, 2016 i love being on stage but at the time i was i found the whole thing kind of scary and it, i didn't even mean to be a singer you know it's just i liked records so much that i wanted to make them but it wasn't like i felt like a performer or something it didn't feel totally natural for me so anyway uh we didn't do that and we just kind of got shy about the whole thing and just went went with electra um and then made the record with rick electric lady um really super fast super fast like he would just work from 11 to 8 and we did the whole thing in something like 11 days wow um i hope i'm not exaggerating not much more than that if it was and he was he was sneaky in a, in a really good way like you know we'd do like three takes of a song and he would 
usually say it's take one and we'd be like, no, 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 we, I, I made a mistake on this part and it should be take two or three. And we'd go home with the tapes, come back the next day. Of course he was right about everything. And, uh, and as soon as we, but, but that day, so like right after we've cut something, he's like, well, I like take one, but so just for the fun of it, can you, can you go do a scratch vocal on that? And I would, and he'd say like, do it, do, do it one more time. Just, just, just a scratch vocal, but I just like to have two, you know, just to hear what doubling sounds like. I'm like, okay, do that. And so when we finish all these tracks, then I say like, so I guess it's time to do the vocals. Now he's like, no, you're done. Because <laughs> I think he knew that he wasn't going to get anything better or more relaxed than, right. than that take. So he just That is pretty sneaky. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a cool, cool tactic. Yeah, because you hear all this stuff about him doing the Blue Album and like Rivers doing all the guitars in one take and like... Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, what did I... I'd, I'd heard that the... Because of a guy that I, I went to an engineering school. Okay. It's, it's, I'm not slagging the place at all. It's the Institute of Audio Research, uh, but it wasn't a good move for me. I shouldn't have done it. Um, but anyway, I'd met a guy there called D- Daniel Smith, and he's the assistant engineer on the Blue Record, and he was oh, telling wow. us about... Uh, and he was a, our, our drummer for a little while. Um, he was telling us that like the vocals took us super long time to get right the first time and then the double the rivers then doubled everything in like everything in one take just right an instant um and then the guitars like the sound they ended up going for was like a, a boogie turned down really soft really like maybe a lot of gain but like quiet they'd spent a lot of time to find this tone and it was like a boogie turned down i think interesting i never heard yeah. that yeah um so i guess that's interesting, like, your story, because I feel like I first found out about you guys, like, in high school through Popular, mm-hmm. and sort of, like, had no idea you came from that indie world. Like, it just, you right. know, like, because at that era, it was, like, there were all kinds of alternative bands kind of popping up. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, what's your, what was that like, and sort of, like, what's your relationship with that song now? Like, um, yeah, I mean, the both things you said... Well, I'll say I'll answer that first. Um, great, you know. I mean, I, I, I'm really proud of it. Like, I, I, I love that song. Um, I think it's really funny. Um, but uh, the perception was super, super weird, and we felt it. Like, like we knew what we were trying to do, and um, you know, the dream was to be on a, on a little label that was cool and that was good, and that to slowly do better and better and play slightly bigger clubs, you know, and and if I could ever get to like play the Ritz or something, I would have been happiest guy on earth, you know. But it happened kind of weirdly backwards, and so I think, I think the impression was a little bit that we were kind of a manufactured band, and and also kind of the it took us, good lord, so long to shake off this like Weezer comparisons, so tiring. I'm sure I love them, but like, no. I mean, first of all, I I guess like everybody, you just try not to imitate anyone. Right, it's a trap, you know. Um, so I didn't feel anything common with them except that they're just like a band I liked, but but same producer, and we had a funny video, and I used to wear uh, glasses. Um, that was all really silly. Uh, I've you know, it's a funny story. It's not. I've only written this down once, so it's actually nice to maybe to say it is that this that song popular. I owe a huge debt of gratitude to this guy Bryce Goggin. Um, he's a producer, I think his studio is still called Trout at this point. He, um, we, we looked him up cause he'd, he'd made, he'd done three of the songs on Gone Glimmering, that Chavez record okay. that I was completely obsessed with. Um, they were my favorite band in the world at that time. Um, and so we'd done that Spanish record, a lot of it with him and for popular, uh, I bought this book on etiquette, uh, T- Penny's Guide to Teenage Charm and Popularity. I bought it at the, at the Goodwill on 81st and 3rd. And um, and I was trying to make this kind of sonic UC chords on my four track a little bit. This kind of chord that had, not exactly dissonant, but it had like a, had some chorusing um, same note thing happening. I explained that badly. But, um, uh, this book was really funny and and so I wrote a chorus from the point of view of the things it said in the book which are a lot of things I ended up saying in the song like you know three important rules for breaking up and wash your hair they said every week I thought two weeks was funnier um, a lot of this stuff was hilarious and so I wrote this I'm 
party star, quarterback, all that stuff. A chorus trying to write from the point of view of someone who really bought into this high school etiquette thing. And so we'd play the song at shows and ask friends of ours, like the more out, like outgoing people, uh, to ask one of them to come up on stage and I'd hand them the book and, and, and I dog-eared some pages and I said, if you don't mind, like read from these pages, just read whatever you want. And, and so our friends would do that, you know, just one at a time. And it's probably only happened three or four gigs anyway, but, but they read out of the book and then we'd interrupt them and sing the chorus and then, and then they'd read again. And so my idea is that the song was going to be something like, like the gift, you know, the vote underground song where it's a story on one side the yeah. junk song called the gift i think it's on white light white heat and and uh one the the left one of the channels is this really sludgy garage kind of dirge and on the other side there's john kale reading um this really morbid story about a guy who mails himself to his girlfriend and his girlfriend uh opens the box with a knife and ends up killing him um a guy called waldo jeffers was his name and um, and then, so I, I thought something like that, or there's a pavement song where there's like a lot of, a lot of uh, talking that's um, really buried and muffled. So I had my uh, high school friend, Catherine Talese, um, read from the book a little bit, and I read from the book a little bit, um, kind of making, kind of, you know, making it up, freestyling, like kind of, I ended up closing the book and making it all up, except that it really was very close. I just did that so it would flow more naturally. Anyway, so the point was that I'd be on one side, she'd be on the other side, and we'd both be totally buried. And so so when Bryce is mixing the song, he's like, so what's going on here? And I, and I explain it, and he's like, okay, we'll take 50 minutes, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on the track a while. So I go in the other room, and then he says, come back in here. He's like, so, so, you, so you want me to bury these two vocals on the side? I'm like, yeah, totally. Like, I don't really want to understand any words. It's just going to be a jumble. It's going to be great. And he's like, well check this out. And he turns her vocal off, puts mine in the middle and turns it up. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I put my finger on the fader. I'm like, no, 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 way down. He's like, keeps his finger right there on the fader. Doesn't let me move. And he's like, listen to that. I'm like, God, it's so loud. He's like, that's a pop song. I'm like, no, it is really, it is. Oh my God. Like I never would have done it that way. It right. wouldn't occur to me to be so like, that's so outgoing, Maybe it's not the right word. It's so confident or crazy, um, but yeah. So I, 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 owe, I owe him turning that song into a into a into a pop song. Um, but yeah, um, right. Indie world. We dropped out of the sky. People probably didn't know what to make of us. Um, and I still like that song. Yeah, it's just yeah. I think it's a great song too. But I guess it's just maybe not as representative oh, of no. your. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all of your records. I yeah. can't really think of another song that really yeah, sounds yeah, that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not at all. Daniel's older brother is a real business guy, and and he once cornered me in a bar and was like, <laughs> "Was very like, you have one product that works particularly well. You should you should need to replicate that product. You need to do more talking songs." I'm like, <laughs> I'm like it, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, I could try. It would be terrible. <laughs> yeah. So, do you spend a lot of time in New York now, or where are you sort of based out of? I'm based. Uh, sort of mostly in in cambridge okay. england um but i spend a lot a, a lot of time here um and my fiance is here in brooklyn so okay. i'm spending even more time here now what's it sort of like for you to kind of like hang out in brooklyn now having sort of grown up here and like especially like i know we both lived in williamsburg yeah. like 10 years ago it's pretty bewildering there i still have a tiny apartment there that i can't really afford to keep but um it's so cheap that I can't really afford to let it go either. So I'm, I'm not, I have to make a decision about it at some point. Um, but so I do go back there and, you know, Daniel moved there in 90, 90, maybe wow. 91. Um, and you know, we kind of thought he was crazy. Like where, where? And, but he had this huge, and he still, still does have this huge apartment. So we started practicing there with this band because, 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 and the reason I ended up moving to Williamsburg was because, when I would take the subway home after band practice, it was so desolate that it was kind of kind of dicey. Like I didn't like from Bedford or something. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Like at like at midnight, there was nobody, and you know, I don't love an empty train, not particularly. Right. Um, and that's more from just like growing up in the city. Uh, 
in the 70s and going to a private school and wearing a uniform was not a lot of fun. Like I get followed a lot and stuff. Some like kind of dicey situations. Um, situations. Um, so yeah, I moved there so I wouldn't have to go home at night anymore. Um, and there was like one, what you would call alternative business. There was the L Cafe. Do you remember that place? No. It's, it's it was where where that check cashing place was. Okay. It was I think called it. The, I think it was that space. Um, and they had sandwiches like there was an Edith Piaf sandwich. There was a Leonard Cohen sandwich. You know, so the, so the menu had that. Um, you know, it was an arty place, but that was like that was it. Um, the Greenpoint Tavern was there. Wow. Um, so yeah, so I guess you've probably had a lot of the same experience where like you go away for a couple of months or, or, or even less and you come back and you're like, what are those three new restaurants? Totally. It's insane. And I, I've definitely like lately there's, there's that salad place. There's a place where it's like they make custom salads or something. Oh, and there's um, like, sweet leaf or green, yeah, sweet greens or something. something. Like that. Yeah. I was so confused. <laughs> I mean, I don't ever, I'm not saying anything, actually I'm not saying anything mean and I, I don't ever want to say anything mean about anybody, but... <laughs> But like, I was really confused because everybody eating there looked exactly alike and they were all dressed exactly alike. It was like a, I mean, I have no idea what like working at Google is like or something, but it it seemed like that kind of like futuristic, uh, we are all one in our shirts match kind of thing. And, and, And everyone making the salads too, like... I didn't know where I was, like in a cloning factory or something. <laughs> yeah, bizarre. Yeah, it's weird. I feel like, like, because even when I was there, like, there was like that subway, but there weren't like really any other sort of chain things, right? And now it's like there's a Starbucks, there's a Dunkin' Donuts, or like making a Whole Foods, right? Like, there's a Starbucks. Pretty, yeah, there's a Starbucks like right on, I think on North Sixth or North Seventh, right between like Bedford and Barry. It's huge. North Sixth. It's near like really? that, that health food store, like oh oh Sen- Senac. Yeah, it's like yeah, really next to that. Oh yeah, God. I remember when a place opened uh, this giant steak place, like on Seventh, in what used to be Planet Thai, because there was a little Planet Thai, then there was like a much bigger Planet Thai. Um, this huge steak place, and I was like, that is way too big. That is totally going to fail. It totally did fail. And then a few months later, C opened up and was, you know, the the yeah. that type of like packed. Just still, packed. that place is still crazy. Yeah. I mean, I still, I still love it there in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but even like, even in two thousand, or because I, I really spent a lot of time at home. Uh, again, when I was working at Earwax, uh, after the proximity effect, our second record got dropped. There was a long period where I was just there was no touring. Um, I didn't have a job in the city. I was just working at Earwax, and so I was really like, just there. For two or three years, it felt like, um, and even then, it was like just amazing how s- styled out people were all the time. Yeah, kind of like a kind of like the same impression I sometimes gotten in 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 Japan. You know, where just people have their look dialed, right? And to just buy lettuce, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Living it. Do you remember the teal teal girl? There was there was a woman who. Um, I think it's teal. Is teal a shade of green? I don't Greeny, know. Greenish blue. Well, she maybe wore only teal and white, like really, only. and then kind of different different getups. Uh, but those just two colors, just no. like a real a real commitment. Yeah, like a like a you know like a walking artwork kind of. Yeah, thing. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So what was it like? So when you were at Earwax, I mean, what was it like? Sort of to go from having this big song and touring to sort of that kind of in between period um it was i mean a lot of about it was great uh i don't know if i can explain why exactly i think because we i suspected there might still be some kind of career like things might pick up at some point so i couldn't justify um going to school i thought maybe like if i try to go to graduate school i maybe it would have felt disingenuous because what if something came up or like a tour, for example, right. I'd have to leave. And same for taking kind of a more serious 
uh, job commitment. So, so I was really happy to be so uh, relaxed. Um, but in terms of what was it like, uh, I'd sometimes forget about that, about not about the band, but but I guess you know since that's what we wanted in the first place was just to have a sort of more moderate uh, career. Right. That would be great if it got big, but but just go up at a slow pace and just build. And I think so. We were kind of back to that, except without without uh, any kind of record deal. So we just started um, working on Let Go um, slowly, and uh, so I was really I was really happy. I mean that maybe your question is hinting at whether it was like a disappointment or whether that kind of change felt like a like a, a brusque change it was kind of slow um, okay because th- things just like the first record did really well and then kind of tapered off and then they're making the second one and the record label's really excited and they're not really excited anymore because we're not making any more of these funny songs and they're like please make some more make us a super alt rock radio smash i'm like i don't know how what do you mean i thought i think this record's pretty good why don't you just put it out right i think that first song hyperspace is kind of a banger maybe you should put that on the radio or try no you're not gonna try okay (laughs) all right well you'll put it out anyway right no you you won't you're not gonna put it out oh you're not gonna put it out at all okay you know so there's like this gentle uh uh, slide down down the down the hill But it seems like you guys really have that now. Like it seems like you guys have had such a steady. Yeah. People, you know, love the band, and I'm so happy. I mean, we finally we had the career path we wanted. It just was the second one. That's well, that's had. a pretty wild trajectory. It is. Yeah, yeah. I, it'd be fun to draw a graph. Well, I, I mean, the graph is pretty simple. You just go up, down, and then go up slowly. <laughs> I saw um, through Catherine Talese, the person who who'd read on on that song her dad is gay talise uh the um big non-fiction writer and and through him we'd gone to this to the pen awards it's like the i can't remember what pen stands for but it's like a writer's okay writer's guild or something and uh kurt vonnegut gave a speech and it was amazing because he was he he had a a blackboard and he was drawing this graph and he said okay so this axis is is uh happy sad or for you know fortune good or bad and this axis is time and then he just would draw a graph like shakespeare usually does this uh you know hollywood movies usually do this many novels do this and it's like you know you start kind of in the middle life's okay then something amazing happens and then it goes all terribly wrong right and then it gets good again and then bad and then it evens out you know or whatever like and so yeah our our, our career path is like a, a a big mogul like a giant hill that, and then it just goes all the way down and then slowly creeps up yeah and how do you feel about the new record? I mean, do you feel like it's, um, cause I've been listening to it a lot. I think it's great. Oh, thank you so much. Um, thank you. But how do you sort of feel like it sort of fits into your canon, I guess? Um, well, maybe it's too soon to no, say. No, no, there was, there was a little bit of, uh, of intent in the song selection. Um, in the making of it, we just made it like we always do. You just follow your enthusiasm and make, make whatever songs feel good but but we had 17 to choose from and we wanted to make like a 10 song you know snappy record but so in choosing what songs to put on it i think we did consciously try to go around the bases a little bit um because i guess we were noticing that the variety was that there were a couple of songs that sounded kind of like our first album um and then some more kind of i hate to say middle of the road but but that's kind of what I mean, like your sort of Tom, Tom Petty Lane kind of stuff, and then some newer things. And so I think in choosing the songs, in answer to your question about how we feel like it fits in, it, I wanted to make like like a like a compendium, yeah, you know, like a like a summary, maybe. <laughs> no, I think that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah, because I remember the last record, Stars Are Indifferent. Uh, just, yeah. What's the re- Stars Are Indifferent to Astronomy? To Astronomy. Yeah, 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 yeah it's such yeah. a great title. Oh, thanks. That's my um, da- that's my dad. <laughs> Really? Yeah, yeah. It's something he says in class. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that first song on it was like kind of heavy. Yeah. Oh, right. Clear Eye, Clouded Mind. Yeah, right. and I was like really into that too. I was like, wow, I didn't yeah. know that this was a side of the band. I guess. Right. 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 Yeah, I kind of forgot that. Really did have a heavy one too. Uh, yeah. On this one, there's that song "New Bird," um, that to me really feels like even before our first record. I remember playing like that, and it was it was fun when we were trying to figure out how to play it, and and Ira was 
looking around and trying a bunch of different stuff and he's like, I don't know what to do. And, and finally we're like, just pretend it's like the karmic EP. Just like play like we did at the very beginning. And then he immediately started, did, just did that part on the spot. That's wild. Yeah. Um, so you guys, I just saw your tour dates. You guys are doing like a UK thing or Europe thing and then a mm-hmm. big US thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. How does it feel sort of gearing up for that? I guess like getting in that mode. I'm, I'm psyched. Um, you know, if it, I really, I really, I really love touring, but I really wish I was two people, you know, I mean, I guess everybody does, you know, like you wish you could go to work and stay home at the same time. And I wish I could go on tour and stay home. Um, so, so I miss people when I'm away. Uh, but the act of it, I really, really take to, it's so exciting. Um, and you just feel like you did something every day. You right. know, I miss that about having a job job. Um, that at the end of every day you've done a day's work and that is a good solid feeling. And, um, I don't always have that when it's like, if I'm home and it's like a time I'm supposed to be writing songs or that kind of thing, you know, I don't necessarily do a day's work every day. I should. And I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to gain the discipline to really have like a regular routine, but I don't always, there's some days when like I tried and nothing came and I don't want to force it. And, I wasted a lot of time, um, but on tour, I just feel more useful. Yeah, I guess is the point. I don't know if this is too personal, but I no. remember when we hung out like eight years mm-hmm. ago. You were sort of in the mode. You were like, "I just like like making dinner with my girlfriend and just yeah. like staying in." And you're like, "I never really had a chance to do that." Sort yeah, of in my twenties. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, I remember the first time that I that I, I mean, I feel like the first time I did that, like stay home with my girlfriend and make dinner, I was. In my mid thirties. Yeah, and I was like, "This is the greatest." <laughs> <laughs> She's kind of like looking at me, like, like, you know, not not annoyed, but but like, come on. Yeah, I'm like, no, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, I still love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's cool. It seems like you kind of have a good mix of sort of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. It's a, a, a bunch of juggling, but but we're we're figuring it out. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty happy pretty happy time in life right now. Uh, that was great, huh, Brad? Yeah. After we Dude. did this interview, I took a picture with Matthew and I posted the caption was doing it for the cause. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty easy for you to get some puns. Oh, out of this. also, I had another great pun I showed Brad this morning. Nada? You use nada at all? <laughs> no, this was not a nada surf related pun. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, Oh, I did, yeah, yeah, your I, pun. I did an article for Noisy, which you can check out, which is actually really great with this guy, Steve Brown, who's like a punk rock yo-yo master who I've known from Cleveland. I've known him forever. And it's the article came out great, but I made an amazing saves a day yo-yo pun. <laughs> and I was telling Brad, the situation where you can use something like that is so obscure, <laughs> but he's punk and it was yo-yo. So their classic album through being cool. Um, I wrote through being spool as a headline. Very excited. It's also speaking of through being cool. I just thought of this. I haven't mentioned this, but me, my old, uh, editor friend, my his colleague at alternate press, Aaron Burgess, and a couple of writers at Rolling Stone just, um, compiled a list of 40 essential emo records. That was my first oh, piece yeah. for rollingstone.com. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank I you. Congratulated yeah, you the other night, but, uh, yeah. Rolling Stone, man. As a music writer, that's kind of a cool, yeah, cool kind of milestone. Absolutely. So yeah, you can check that out. You can tell us how wrong we were about everything in yeah. the comments section. Nobody's going to say that as, no. as, <laughs> as people do with every list. People ever never made. get upset with top ten, top one hundred lists. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Um, but if you want to do something a little more positive with your time on the internet. Want to go to going off tra- go- goingofftrack.com <laughs> and make it... I thought I had like such a good segue there, and then I totally fucked it up. Go to goingofftrack.com. You can donate a dollar, five $6.66, $6. whatever you want um, to keep, keep us paying for our server costs. And uh, if you don't want to spend any money, that's cool. You can go to iTunes, leave us a nice review. You can tweet at us that you like the podcast. Um, Contrary to popular belief, we actually run our own social media. We don't have a huge PR company that <laughs> tweets. It's really us. I, I well, I, I do. I have 
I have, Brad a, te- does. I have a team of five 22 year olds who write all my tweets that come out about one every 10 days. So I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you're <laughs> not paying that cool. I hope either. you're paying them a lot because they're kind of <laughs> slacking a little. Yeah. I have a team of five college kids that just come up with puns all day. My, my team just retweets Gizmodo pu- tweets. Yeah. That's all they do. Yeah. I've noticed that. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, Check out the new Night of Surf record. You know who you are. Um, it's out now in Barsook. Just came out. It's great. I love it. Um, check out all their records. Um, if they come to your town, they're a fantastic live band. So do that too. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with another fantastic podcast next week.